Welcome to Inside Scoop with Sean Emery, where we will continuously bring you closer to companies, sectors, and themes. This recording should not be construed in any manner whatsoever as a substitute for personalized individual advice from Avery and Company. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies mentioned. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Hello, everyone. I am glad to bring my conversation with Jason Trost. He is from Smarkets. He's the founder and the CEO of one of the leading global sports and event betting platforms in the world. Their core market is the UK, but they've recently moved into the US with a launch in Colorado. They have further expansion plans in Indiana as their next stop. They were built in 2008, and in 2020, we're finally seeing that acceleration of digital betting take hold. And while this market is still developing, Smarkids has emphasized building out their own technology stack, which positions them to win longer term. We are looking at this entire space as investors, and we were happy to bring Jason on Inside Scoop to better understand what is taking place in the digital betting market and really listening to one of the leaders in the space. So enjoy the conversation and follow up with us if you have any questions. All right, Jason, thanks for coming on. We're excited to get you on here. Awesome. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, so I'm going to self-classify you as the, the king of all things betting. But right now is an amazing time to have you on the podcast. I think it's an amazing topic just with everything taking place. But before kind of digging into the company specifically and yourself, I just want to know how life is. Uh, it's the year of quarantine. We are here in Miami. We've gone back and forth in terms of restrictions, but you touch really two major global cities. So, so how's everything overall in your world? Well, not to throw you for a loop, but I'm actually in Paris right now. So my, my wife's from, from France and we decided to be near family during the pandemic. So I've been in LA for the last four years and the pandemic hit. We decided let's, let's be near family. So I'm, I'm in France at the moment, but it's been, I'm sure just like everybody, it's been quite a, uh, an experience uh, being at home with your kids all the time and not being able to travel, not being able to go to restaurants and things like that. So it's it's definitely helped focus priorities and, and made you rethink things. And it's crazy how much has changed in uh, such a short period of time. Yeah, no, definitely. We're doing the same exact thing is staying close to the family, close to our, our little circles where we know exactly kind of what everyone's been up to and just being cautious overall. And Hopefully we get out of this sooner rather than later for all of our sakes. But yeah. so tell, tell us a little about your, yourself, markets. It's fascinating. We'll just start there. Yeah, sure. So the quick story is uh, I'm an American guy. I went to school at Northwestern, studied computer science. When I graduated, I was a trader in Chicago, a stock trader. When I was stock trading, I saw a website that was called Trade Sports, which would let you trade the presidential election. I was and still am a political junkie and follow politics very closely. And I thought it was an amazing concept that you could basically trade the outcome of, of an election. But even though I had a degree in CS and I was a professional trader, I thought that there was a lot that could be improved and put the idea in the back burner. One of my best friends from undergrad was living in London, said there's a company called Betfair, which basically took the electronic model of trading an event and applied it to sports. And they were doing fiscally very, very well, but their technology left something to be desired. So uh, I quit my job at the time. I had moved to New York, was working at UBS and quit my job and, and my college buddy was living in London. And so 
moved over to London and I was in London for about 10 years. And then my wife and I decided to do a change and get ready for legalization in the United States, open an office in LA. And now I'm in Paris during the pandemic. So that's the, been jumping all over the place. Yeah. And, and you, you started in 2008, I believe, right? Yeah. 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 So it's been, the, it's been quite a journey. I mean, one of the reasons that it's taken, I guess, this long, I mean, I think tech companies, like the big tech companies tend to pop around year 10 and we're around year 12. I think part of the reason is we didn't raise that much money, somewhat on purpose, because we wanted to go deep in understanding the product and the customer experience. And so it's very, very unique to this industry, but we own all of our own technology. We're one of a handful of betting companies that come even close to the amount of technology that they control. So most big betting companies that you know almost outsource all of their key technology. And so for the last 12 years, we've basically been building the full stack experience for sports betting. And I think every year we're getting better and better and better as our t- as our stack fills out. When I started the company, I was 26 years old. And as 26-year-olds do, they want to take a big bite of the apple. And I was competing against Betfair, which at the time was, I don't know, a few thousand people and, and had a market cap of at least a few hundred million, if not a billion. And, you know, I thought me and my roommate, my buddy from college could, could take them on in a couple months, which isn't the case. But we've been, we kept our heads down, been grinding, and now we're pretty proud of uh, the tech stack we have. And, and I would say that I think we probably have the best tech stack in the industry right now. Oh, nice. And how's that translated, do you think, to your position in the market? I know you guys are coming to the U.S., but obviously where your core markets are, just give us the dynamics that are taking place there. For, for you as a company, uh, what are you guys doing that, that kind of separates yourself, but also just overall the themes that are taking place? Yeah, our home market is the UK. So the lion's share of our, our traffic is, is based in, in the UK, the United Kingdom. And to put a number on it, we have about 1% market share. It's about a 2 billion pound annual market. Sport, online sports betting is about, worth about 2 billion pounds a year. There's two basic things that makes us very different. One's emotional, one's logistical. The emotional thing is both my co-founder and I had a background in computer science and finance. And so our company is very geeky, very financial focused. Whereas I think most sports betting companies kind of come at it more from the entertainment side of the business. We come at it more from the trading financial aspect, which I think is a much different lens to view sports betting as through the lens that it's been viewed traditionally. And the second thing, which is more on the emotional side, is that we want to offer the best price possible. So we are here to use technology to enable our customers to be betting at the lowest margin, which translates to the best odds possible. And I think most betting companies kind of think about it more of a share of wallet kind of experience. You know, there's this magic number in the industry, which is considered around 10% margin. It exists in sports betting, but I heard about it from a casino guy where 10% is the amount that it optimizes how much money you can make from somebody and how much money you need to give them back in order for them to stay at the table and keep playing the game or, or pulling the, the arm on the slot machine. So I don't think that that's morally, you know, morally, I, don't, I think it's fine to view the business like that. But I think it's much more exciting and interesting to think about this like a giant, you know, it's like NASDAQ for events which I think is a much more interesting way to view the market. And, and we're trying to make uh, sports betting high volume and low margin. Right. So are you trying to take the Amazon playbook? Your margin is my opportunity. Uh, yeah, I would love to be a trillion dollar market <laughs> cap company. Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but in all seriousness, you know, we kind of are taking a classic tech Silicon Valley approach where you know, we're not trying to make as much money as possible right now. We're trying to make enough money to run the business as well as really power 
our, uh, you know, give the best technology to our customers as possible. I think a, a better metaphor, even though I'd love to be Amazon, a better metaphor might be Vanguard, where the founder of Vanguard is like, low fees, low fees, low fees, low fees, low fees. And, you know, I think if you look at a chart of the market share of Vanguard over the last 30 years, it's probably a pretty nice, uh, it's got a pretty nice curve to it. And I think there's something to that. And that's more the approach that we're taking where we think if we, are, we have the best prices, the best odds in the market, you know, our market share is going to grow and grow and grow and grow. Right. No, that makes sense. I think Interactive Brokers has done that in the, on the trading side as well, becoming just the value business. So I see some, some kind of parallels there as well. Now, talk us, I guess, through, you guys run an exchange, uh, right? I, I think that's peer-to-peer. And then you also run as a bookmaker, I believe, on the other side. Yes. So, so just, just walk us through just the, the high-level, simplistic version of the difference between both of those. What are traditional other companies doing? Yeah. Are they more bookmakers or peer-to-peer? And Yeah. So that's a great question. And it's something that I have a, a big philosophical difference with the rest of the industry. So basically, to put it in context... There's two ways of betting. Well, there's actually three ways of betting. Just just to get the first one out of the way. The first one is called the tote or pair mutual. And that's if you bet on horses, especially in the United States or, or around the world, a lot of times you'll bet into a pool. And basically, you don't have a fixed odds when you're picking the horse that you want to win. All the money goes into a pot. The operator takes its commission out, which is usually 20 25%. And then the pot is shared amongst the people that pick the winning horse. The really nice advantage to that is for the operator, there's no risk involved. But the bad thing is for the user, you don't know what the odds are when you're placing the bet. So, you know, there can be large fluctuations. Like you could be betting into the pool when the indicative odds say the horse is going to be six to one. But by the time the race happens, the horse gets two to one and there's nothing you can do about it. So if you leave that to the side in sports betting, there's two base models. One is the bookmaker model and the exchange model, like you said. The bookmaker model is like if you bet in Vegas, the house is the other side of the bet and you are the other side of the bet. So the bookmaker makes money by giving you bad odds. And when you win, you'll win a little bit less than you should to be at parity. And that's how the bookmaker makes money. The exchange basically disintermediates that and says anybody can be on either side of the book. And when a buyer and a seller match, there's an execution. So it's much more like a financial market. So I think it's okay to call it peer-to-peer, but I think a better model is is sort of thinking about it like a financial, like a normal stock exchange. Yeah. Like, you know, if I buy a hundred bucks of the Phillies, one buck might be against this guy, 20 bucks might be against this guy. So it's much more marketplace betting. Now, this is where things get a little bit complicated. The Zen is, from the customer perspective, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're betting on the exchange or the bookmaker. It's the same mechanism. So a lot of people think that exchanges are apples and and bookmakers are oranges. But really, a bookmaker is a very simple version of an apple and an exchange is, is an advanced version of an apple. So I would think about it more like a bookmaker is simple betting and exchange is more sophisticated betting, but they're at, at its core, it's the same thing. So a lot of people, because they hear where Smarkus is a betting exchange, they think, oh, it's a niche product because you know only pro punters want to use betting exchanges, but that's not the case. That's just a, it's a question of interface. It's not a question of the underlying mechanics. So if I bet at Caesars or I bet at Smarkets and the odds are the same, it's the same thing. It's the same bet. So the, the question comes down to price and, and user interface. And from that perspective, bookmakers are the same thing as the exchange. Got it. Got it. And I guess continuing on the industry as a whole, you guys are moving into the U.S. I believe in Colorado, there's a lot of unknown regarding regulation. You have an inside seat, at least in terms of 
trying to make it all work. What does it look like behind the scenes on the regulatory side? What do you guys have to do? What does everyone have to do in a sense to, to make it happen? And just timetable of kind of events yeah. that you're, you're focused on. It feels like going to the dentist <laughs> and every time you sit at the dentist, you have to fill out a thousand new pages. And every time you're there, you have a root canal and you have to go once every two weeks. <laughs> That's the US right now. It's really messy. It's really local. It's really esoteric. And it's, it's very painful. And I think it's very poorly designed, to be honest. That said, you know, you have to go to the dentist. So we are, we're doing what we have to do, but it's not a very pleasant process. The core problem in the United States is each state is regulating it themselves and each state is regulating it differently. They're broadly following similar principles, but there's enough difference that you can't group states together. Taxes are different. Regulations different. Technology requirements are different. Partnerships are different. Another major issue with the regulation in the United States is for whatever reason, Americans have tied access to the market through casinos, which I think is a very unfortunate development for consumers because ultimately it's going to lower competition in the market. But we have to buy market access to buy market access, you have to do a deal with the casino. And, and that's not true in all states, but most states, uh, that's the case. So lobbying is, is winning the, the race right now. And ultimately, the losers are the consumer. But I'm hoping that once Americans get more accustomed to it, the, the market will liberalize. Yeah, what do you think that is? Just buying time for the casinos to, to react? Because obviously, they have all this physical infrastructure that they've built out, which uh, we're seeing today just in terms of the cash burn that's taking place there. Is that is that part of it? Obviously, the lobbying is there. It's meaningful. How do you think that market shakes out? Is it going to be where they're involved? I mean, obviously, right now they're involved. Are they going to be involved long term? Or is this much more a digital platform where you think there's going to be a separation at some point in the future between, let's just say, the physical and then the more digital players? Yeah, I mean, to, the quick answer is I think it's going to be a long time before there's a big separation. So there's basically two reasons why I think it's the way it is. So if you're not in the industry or if you take a step back and you're an average American, and if I weren't in the industry, I probably would fall under the same... Uh, it's just sort of people group sports betting under gambling and casino under gambling. So they're like, oh, it makes sense that sports betting belongs to casino. But if you think about it logically, sports betting has nothing to do with gambling. It's like putting a sandwich shop with an auto mechanic. You know, like it's, there's no problem with an auto mechanic. Well, which sandwiches. one are you in that scenario? <laughs> I, I think I'm the sandwich shop. <laughs> Definitely. But think about it like that. If you wanted to open a sandwich shop in the state of Florida and they said you have to get a license from an auto sh a sandwich shop and you have to do it through a mechanic, you know, you would be like, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. And sports right. betting really has nothing to do with craps. It has nothing to do with poker. It has nothing to do with slot machines. It has nothing to do with cages. It has nothing to do with any of this stuff. Right. Nothing to do with hotels. And so the two industries just do not belong together. But, you know, you can kind of understand that. That's it. You can understand, like, from a naive point of view, why people just naturally group them together, but they really have nothing to do. You know, and a good evidence of that is the casinos. A lot of Americans think casinos are going to be good at sports betting. The casinos know nothing about sports betting. Like casinos are more, it's more of a real estate business than anything else. It has nothing to do with risk and buying and selling and all that kind of stuff. The second thing is, just real quick, is that 
casinos have built up lobbying empires, you know, like if you think about non-Vegas casinos, like in order to exist, you had to be good at lobbying. You know, I, I'm from Connecticut and Mohegan Sun and, and Foxes, I assume, are very, very good lobbyists. And so they just have the infrastructure to have the ear of the legislator. And uh, casinos are really good at saying jobs, 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 taxes, taxes, taxes. And sports betting is part of casinos and people just kind of zombie into it and say, okay, that makes sense. So that's where we're at. I think it's going to take a while to divorce that. And like I said, the ultimate loser is the American consumer and also the state, to be honest, because as you have less competition, there's going to be less taxes because the competition is not going to be good. But that's where we are. And who do you think uh, is doing a pretty good job of the incumbents? Are you talking about casinos? Yeah. In in terms of some of them have partnered. Obviously, some of them are being, like you said, you, you have to partner with them. Some of them are probably being a little bit more lenient. But just in general, when you look out at the field, who's doing a pretty good job of the incumbents? And then, and then obviously just shifting it to the more digital players. Who's yeah. doing a, a good job over there? I mean, I'm not trying to be dismissive, but it's like, it's something I really don't even pay attention to. I mean, huh. there's such old fashioned companies that they really have nothing to do online. You know, like it's basically like, you know, MGM and uh, GVC to use an example. I think it's more of a, you know, they're using their brand, but MGM is not really going to be part of it. You know, like right. MGM is not bringing their experience to bear in sports betting because they know nothing about sports betting. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, like Trump, he just throws a name on a hotel, but it's not really his hotel. So, you know, I don't think, I don't think about them very much, to be honest. I don't think they're going to be long-term winners or even short-term winners. I think the long-term winner is going to be technology. I mean, you haven't really seen it yet in sports betting because because of the regulation I just went through. Like, it's not nearly as bad in Europe, but it's still it's still quite cumbersome. There aren't that many entrepreneurs and startups in sports betting as, as you would expect, you know. Like if I want to start a chat company like Slack, which is worth $30 billion today, there's absolutely no regulation that I have to comply with to get going. And, you know, I can globally offer my product tomorrow. Whereas in sports betting, you know, if you want to start offering bets in any state, it's going to take you at least a year or two of red tape to get going. So, so there isn't that many startups, but I do believe over time that technology and product will win, which is why I don't pay attention to a lot of these casinos because they are not good at technology at all. Right. That makes sense. I think we've seen that in almost any shift from, yeah. again, just physical to digital incumbents to, to new. I'll give you an example. Like there's a friend of mine who runs a casino and this is no knock on casinos. I love casinos. I, you know, like I said, I grew up near Foxman. I think they're fun. You know, I like going to them. But he described his business as a real estate. And I don't mean real estate as in buying land and selling the land. I mean, like floor real estate. Like he was an expert in understanding the economics of floor real estate. And you want these slots here. You want high value slots here. You want your tables here. This is where you want your restaurant, which is a really cool skill set. which, you know, it, that literally has nothing to do with digital. It has literally nothing to do with sports betting. So it's just, it's like, it's, it's sandwiches and, and uh, car mechanics. (laughs) Yeah. The, I, I guess just switching slightly to the current environment no sports, even though I'm excited to get baseball back this week. I'm a fantasy baseball guy, so excited to see what season even looks like. <laughs> and uh, hopefully everything is successful. We'll see. That's to be determined. But how does this environment for yourself, how, like what's happened internally, obviously right when it was taking place uh, in terms of COVID-19, uh, I'm sure there was a lot going on internally at your company and just how have you viewed this environment to potentially reshape how you think about the future, what opportunities have been presented, and yeah, just any insights of 
take us through the last like kind of three, four months. Yeah. So our volumes were down around 80%, which is to be expected, you know, but what what's really great, I don't know if Mitt Romney came up with this, but I'm associating the, the phrase, never let a crisis go to waste. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if that's, if I'm correctly attributing that quote or not. But anyway, I really like that sentiment. Like, I really think like from crises, you can do really great things. And so, you know, that's not to say we didn't struggle. We, it created enormous psychological stress on the company created financial stress on the company. So we definitely had the downsides of it. But on the upside, it lets you, it helps you bring a new dimension to the company. So we used it to really lean into adding more sports and events. And so we never had table tennis before. We had a table tennis, we had an esports. You know, esports is one of those things that I've wanted to do forever, but you know, it's never as important as horse racing or, or soccer or something right. like that. So, you know, but the crisis happened, esports is on. It's like, boom, let's do esports. And, you know, I was really proud of my team. Like we did esports in like two weeks. So that's an example of where we are able to come together and add something that ultimately, even when sports are back, like now we have an amazing e-sports offering, which we wouldn't have had if there were no crisis. It helps you look at expenses. You know, anytime you want to be more capital efficient, there's nothing like a financial crisis to uh, focus the mind. And so we save money. We use a lot of cloud computing. So that's a good example. There's always tons of waste in cloud computing. So we trim costs there. We trim costs here, trim costs there. So you trim cloud. Yeah, but it's not nice. tr- it's not like we offered less. We just were u- using things sloppily. So I don't know how much you know about cloud computing, but it's like candy for developers. Oh, for it's sure. like uh you just it's just so easy to, to like let's give it more RAM or more CPU. I remember being a kid, you know, like looking at hard drives thinking like do we want a 128 megabyte hard drive or a 64 megabyte hard drive and you know the kids these days they just go on and be like i'll have a terabyte here a terabyte there i'll get 32 cpus and uh you know it's great for scaling and and being flexible but it's also horrible for the budget because it's just so easy to pile on stuff so right yeah it was a good chance for us to kind of pair that back so i think we actually got tons out of the crisis from a financial point of view, from a product point of view. And, and in general, we kept the product, uh, you know, the product development chugging along. So any technology company has a roadmap that's way longer than they have time for. And so just because there's a crisis on and no sports doesn't mean we don't have a backlog that we have to be working through. So of course we did that as well. Right. Let's double click on um, esports. Your vision of esports, it's, it's, it's massive, massive category. There were people literally watching peer-to-peer betting on Madden, computer playing the computer. Uh, this is kind of the April, March, April time period. I remember seeing <laughs> videos of that. You guys built out your esports product, I guess. And just in general, what do you what do you see there? What's your vision of, of esports? I think if you get that flywheel going, could it be bigger yeah. than your traditional sports? I don't I, like, I feel like an old guy when I say this, you know, and I grew up playing games and Nintendo and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think esports betting is a little bit overhyped. Like, I think esports is a phenomenon. I mean, it's already big. I know a lot of esports people cite more people watch this than the right. NBA finals. And I think that's true. Like, I, I don't think that that's a bad stat, but I, I don't think it necessarily translates to people wanting to bet on it. Mm. Of course, of course, we've seen people bet on it. And of course, betting as the, as the interest in the sport increases, the betting will increase. And who knows, maybe it will surpass normal sports, sports betting. But I think it's going to be a long time before you'll see anything close to 
the volume you'll see in a Premier League soccer game for an esports game, just yeah. because it's like it's not in the culture, you know. Like I think there's one thing to have Twitch on in the background when you're checking emails, and you know, it's another thing. Like the physical sports world has a little bit of a, I would say just a much different culture and tradition, you know, and and you know, it's much more the black market, but. Like sports betting is part of sports, whereas esports, I I don't think sports betting is part of it. Betting is part of it, just the way it is on, like it's betting on soccer is as normal as uh, getting a diet coke in the UK. It's just it's just part of the culture. And same with horse racing. You know, horse racing is part of the culture. So, I don't know. I think I think it's a little bit overhyped. I think it's going to continue to grow. We're pretty agnostic. Like we view ourselves as we want to turn event trading into an asset class, and we don't care what events people are trading. So. You know, if people want to trade esports, we'll be there with the best odds on esports. So it's it. But from a market prognostication point of view, I would be not as pumped about esports growing like a lot of people think it will. Yeah, I don't. I don't see myself betting on esports ever. I mean, I don't watch it, so maybe that's uh, a natural bias. But if last... you want a good insight, just real quick, if you want to get yeah. like Netflix is a pretty cool series, Seven Days Out. And I think one of the episodes on Seven Days Out was about an esports tournament. So if you wanted just a little bit of a glimpse for an hour into the esports world, it's, it's kind of an interesting way to uh, check it out. Okay, Seven Days Out. We'll do last, I guess, bullet point, then we'll, we'll wrap up. So, so your platform touches politics. I think you, again, events-driven, everything yeah. outside of sports and traditional stuff. Politics, what does your platform say about November today? Let me check, yeah. but uh, the markets, <laughs> I mean, it's trending in Biden's favor, obviously. Da, da, da. Let me get the exact number. Yeah. I think Biden, Biden's at 61% chance right now and Donald Trump's at 34% chance. So they were like, they split at May 31st. So pre-May 31st, Trump was the favorite and post-May 31st, Biden was the favorite. Got it. Yeah, I'm scrolling through the app right now. The SBK. Yeah, no, look, I think that's a good place to wrap. A lot of good stuff on... Betting, I guess, from my point of view, I just wanted to give you a second to share with everyone kind of where to learn more about markets, what you guys are have in your road roadmap here in the next couple months or even year, however time frame you want to go, and just any takeaways you wanted to share. Yeah, I mean, our goal is to be number one in sports betting globally with technology and pricing leading the way. If you're in the United States and Colorado, you can check out our product. We're live. It's called SBK, which earlier in the talk, I was talking about bookmaker versus an exchange. That's our bookmaker product. Smarkets is our exchange product and SBK is our bookmaker product. So we're about to launch, well, we're not about to launch, but we're working on launching in Indiana. So that will be our next date. Uh, We have ambitions to be in all the states where we can as soon as possible. If you want to learn more about the business, if you want SBK, go to getsbk.com. If you want to follow the company, you can follow us on Twitter at at Smarkets or uh, you can follow me as at Jason Trost as well. Perfect. It's a good place to stop. Jason, appreciate it for coming on here and, and sharing all the insights. We'll definitely have to have you back. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and it was was fun to talk about this stuff.